You are listening to the Elevation Indie Podcast. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you can know exactly when the podcast becomes available. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and we hope that it brings blessings into your life. Today I'm going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2, Everyday Health is a title, and I just will say this, that we're wrapping up 21 days of prayer and fasting. Most of you are, they've been doing it and, and are excited about what God's been doing. There's definitely been a shift at elevation during this time, as people have been seeking after God and people have been committing uh, to uh, just this journey of prayer and fasting, and I'm, I'm excited about it. And I just say, you know, go ahead and party uh, at the end of this, but don't party, you know, like, don't just go like, you know, a gallon of ice cream tonight and like, you're not ready for that, you know, just, just measurement and, and you're moving forward. So day, everyday health. Next Sunday, uh, jumping into a new um, a time for us as a church, Blackboard Vision. It's Vision Sunday. I encourage you to be here. If you know somebody, you haven't seen them in a few weeks or something or seen them in a while, encourage them to be here because I'm going to be talking about vision for our church. And uh, I'm, I'm pumped, uh, excited about it, but I uh, would love for as many people to be here as can to hear this. And right now the weather outlook is good. It's cloudy and like 40 all week long. And it's okay to pray if the sun, if the sun will come out. That'd be nice too. Be nice too. But we we we're thankful. Uh, Nehemiah chapter two, pick it up verse eleven. So I came. Nehemiah is saying this. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. You, you might just, if you've got, a, if you've got a, a real Bible or something you can highlight on, right there it says, um, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. And by, by the way, sometimes God's going to give you a vision, and you don't have to blurt it out, right? Don't blab it before you grabbed it, right? Did you take your time? Because everybody not, may not can receive it like you've received it, right? So, so, so put my, my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one in which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate. It's getting ready to feel like it's Lord of the Rings here a little bit. It's not. These are real places. But I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. You got Nehemiah here, and he's got, uh, you know, we, we've talked about how that he's been moved by hearing the news of, of the, the shape of Jerusalem and the walls and all the things that have happened there. And he's been moved to, to mourning and a grieving process. And, and that has caused him to pray and fast day and night. And he's, he's been through this journey. And then, and then he's before the king and the king sees his countenance has changed. He looks different. And so the king begins to question him and he finds out, okay, Nehemiah is disturbed because of the, the place of his fathers, his, his homeland that he's never been to Right, he's been born in captivity, born a servant, born a slave, and, 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 and lived there all of his life uh, to everything that we know. He's never been to Jerusalem. 
And uh, Nehemiah is just uh, now, because of the king understanding the situation, has been blessed by this generosity of the king more than what he expected. He has letters and military detachment to travel the journey to get to, to Jerusalem. He's been appointed governor of Jerusalem. He's going to share, show up there uh, and, uh, and make some changes for the better. How many know that as the church, we're in the world uh, to make changes for the better? Right? God calls us salt and light. He didn't put us in this world so that we can just exist and kind of hang out, but he put us in this world so that the world would be changed, right? Transformation would occur. And so, but, but Nehemiah, he, he's been on this journey. Now, what we understand is it's about 900 miles from where he's at uh, in the palace there to Jerusalem, 900 plus or minus miles, depending on how the, how the trip would have went. And, and that's, that's a long ways. That's a long way. That would be from here to about Orlando, Florida, right? And if we were going to drive there, flying there is one thing, but if we want to drive there, well, it's going to take some doing to drive. You know, we've got a highway system to carry us, and we can get there. It won't be a straight line, but, but to get there, about the same distance. But you see, in that day, that kind of thing didn't exist. It wasn't a car. It wasn't a plane, right? It, 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 it was the idea that, that traveling there would have been ho probably horseback, for 900 miles. Now, I've been on a horse before a few times, maybe an hour. And I'll be honest, because I'm not used to riding a horse, even an hour is kind of a little dis discomforting. You know what I'm saying? Like that whole bumping up and down, you kind of get into, like, I guess, I don't know if I know how to do it right, but you just feel like you're like, like, come on now, I want something that's a little smoother. But for 900 miles, Scholars would estimate it's about a four-month journey on horseback to go from point A to point B. That it wasn't like you're stopping at the, you know, at the Hilton, right, or the, or the, or the J.W. Marriott or, or the Holiday Inn or even the Econo Lodge. Like you're probably outside camping at night with a fire, and what you're eating is, is maybe some of the stuff that, that isn't, isn't some culinary delight. It's just what you're getting. you got to understand Nehemiah hangs out in the palace, Nehemiah is in the closest proximity to the king as just about anybody in the kingdom. He knows what it is to live in, 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 in luxury and in high-end kind of living. And now he's been on this journey four months long, 900 miles in the, in the elements and in the weather. And I just want to talk about, set this on you first. Bulk of my message is going to be about something else. But the first part of it is going to be about rest, just for a few moments, rest. You can't be your best if you don't have rest. You can't make good decisions if you don't have rest, proper rest. And Nehemiah has arrived. You know what? He's probably tired. He takes three days, three days before he does anything, it appears to me. Now, I don't know about the culture shock. You know how it is when you've been told about a place. You know, like, like somebody recommends you go to this restaurant, and you're sitting there, and you're eating it. They told you how good it was. They, they've blown it all up, and you're sitting there, and, you know, and, and, and you're, you're trying this, this um, just carefully not gourmet-prepared White Castle, and you're like, hey, it's not as good as what they told me. Anybody ever recommend a place, and then somebody goes there, and they didn't have the same experience you had? I don't hardly ever recommend a restaurant anymore because I've done it a few times, and people say, yeah, I went there. And it went. Like, I must have been super hungry when I was there. When I was there. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you're hungry, like, you know, a bologna sandwich could sound good almost. You know what I'm saying? 
Right? Nehemiah, he's heard all about the temple. We've been talking about the tabernacle. He's heard about how the, no doubt, how the Shekinah glory would come into the, into the temple and how beauty and how people came from all over to see the beautiful, magnificent, majestic temple that was in Jerusalem. He's heard about the, the walls and the, and the marketplace and the commerce and, and all the things that would happen in the city. And when he gets there, he's had a report, but no doubt it's a little bit of a, of a shock when he sees how bad it really is. So maybe his three days of, of rest could have been uh, some, some time also spent with just the processing of, of I'm here now, and this is the view I've already gotten. And Boy, it looks like it's went from bad to worse. Rest. And Elijah, and after he's had that big Mount Carmel encounter, that confrontation in 1 Kings 18, it's in 1 Kings 19 that you see him. I mean, God's answer by fire. The, the prophets of Baal have had to surrender and submit to the true uh, God of the universe. And, and Elijah's dealt with them. And now in 19, he's just kind of withdrawn to, to a place away from everybody. And he's looking in that time of rest. God, what, what are you saying? And if, if you weren't here on the, on the Sunday that I talked about everyday margin, I encourage you, I won't spend... Uh, any more time here, but go listen or, or watch that message because uh, margin includes times of rest. And by the way, it doesn't mean everybody needs three days of rest. You might, but you know, don't 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 think. Well, I got you know, I had a tough week. I just got to shut down for the next three days. I'm not going to church. I'm not doing anything. No, that's not the that's not the idea. The idea is that you that you, that you provide times. Everybody say rhythms. The, re the reason that you get exhausted sometimes is because you don't have the rhythm of rest included. And so, again, take the, listen to the, mar the message on margin, or maybe you did, go back and look at your notes, or go listen to it again, and figure out how can I include rest, right? How can I create margin for rest in the rhythms of my life? And the second thing I want to talk about is the word reevaluate. Reevaluate. Um, Nehemiah has heard how bad it is. Now, now, I would say that in his role as cupbearer of the king, he's probably got access to maps of what Jerusalem looks like. I mean, he's in a high-level role. I know they would have had maps of what Jerusalem looks like. If not, he could have easily uh, spent some time with some of the leaders of the Jewish community there in Persia and got details about what he's going to, what, what's, what, what's Jerusalem, how's it laid out, what's it look like, tell me about these walls, how big are they. He could have had all that, uh, that, that uh, uh, thought through. And, and, and by the way, if you're going to go on a journey that long, you've probably done some homework. You've probably got some preparedness that's happened in, your, in, in this time. And so, so he's evaluated, no doubt, and now he's going he's gonna to step into a place after three days of, of getting his bearings and, and rest, recovering maybe from the shock. He's going to now go on a journey at night. He didn't need 10,000 voices around him trying to tell him. You know, because sometimes, if you've ever been in a leadership role, you know, sometimes people are like, you, you start giving them the what, and they start going to the how before you get the second sentence out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember one time we was out in Avon, we're, we're, we're uh, campus out there, and I met with some of the people, I knew one man in the room, and, and, and we had, I don't know, seven people around there, some of the leadership there, and I started giving them the what, and all of a sudden, I mean, I probably got two sentences out. They started asking just questions, fearful questions. You know, are we going to paint it a different color? 
What are we going to do about the signs? We're going to include, you know, Brother Ned or whatever. I don't know. Like, hold on a second. I haven't explained to the what to you yet for us to ever get to the how. It's going to take me 30 minutes to get through the what. <laughs> That's what my conversation looked like. I got I to gotta lay this out so we understand where we're going here. And, and so I'm just going to say this, that, that sometimes, like with Nehemiah, he doesn't need Tobiah and Sambalot walking with him and a bunch of opponents walking with him to ask 100,000 questions. He's got to make an assessment. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about the idea of everyday health is this, that you've got to do self-examination, self-assessment, Self-evaluation, and you've got to reevaluate. you got to evaluate and reevaluate your life if you're going to walk in health. And when I say health, here's what I want you to understand. I am talking about, and I loved it this weekend, uh, both, both um, uh, Pastor Tony Portel and the doctor did a great job explaining this idea that our life is connected, not separated. Like some people, your spiritual life's over here, and then somehow you separated your physical life over here. And you got some relational life here, and, and you feel like they're all disconnected, when, when in reality, they're all connected. Somebody shout, they're connected. Right? They're all connected. And, and, and it's the idea that, that I can, and the church hasn't done a good job and I, I, with this in the past. And I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm getting it all right today. I'm, I'm endeavoring to, to include this in the way, the way that we think, that, that emphasize and put, put, do work on your spiritual life, but you also must be mentally healthy and spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy, physically healthy and spiritually healthy. Are you with me? Financially healthy. Are you with me? How many wants to be financially healthy, right? We don't want, we, we think somehow those are separated from our spiritual life when, when it, that's not true. That's not true at all. That Jesus came the atonement was so that we could have healing and that we could walk in complete health. That you don't have to be spiritually poor anymore. The God of heaven sent his son. His son who was rich became poor for our sakes. That the gospel is inclusive of the entirety of who you are. And I'm going to talk about self-assessment and self-examination, and I don't want you to get all bummed out and all sad and all this stuff. So I, I just want you to understand right now, don't, don't get caught up in condemnation and guilt and shame because that is not what God wants for your life. That is not the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and you need to understand that. Conviction, however, and conviction is this. Yeah, you'll have some, some, some feelings of whatever, but it's to move you to correction, I hope today that in the few minutes I'm with you that I can help you. Anybody ever been to the eye doctor? I don't like to go. Anybody like to go? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Like if, if you're improving, you get new glasses or something. And, you know, but, but uh, they've done so many, they've done these tests where they like, put stuff in your eyes and it burns. And I'm like, oh, I hate doing that. Anybody ever had those kind of tests? I'm like, I just, I just don't like that. And I'm like trying to be nice to the guy, but I'm like, you keep it hurting me, man. <laughs> Doctors don't know what to do when you tell them that. I love to say, doctor, I thought you liked me, but man, that really hurt. <laughs> Helps lighten the room a little bit when they're when they're when they're uh, inflicting pain on you. But 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 here's the deal. Here's the way I want this to happen. When you go to that eye doctor and you leave there, what they're doing is they're trying to give you corrective lenses so you can see more clearly. I hope the day that, that the Holy Spirit would work in your life like a like this this uh, obstetrician that would help you, uh, ophthalmologist. Is that what it is? An eye doctor. 
and would help you get some corrective lenses to see your life through. Because you may be looking at your life through rose-colored glasses and think everything's perfect, or you may be looking at your life through those. Anybody, when the, when the thing comes, what's, what's that thing's coming back again, that eclipse? Anybody get those glasses for that last time? You can't see anything out of those things. They're just, you know, that may be the glasses that you get, the lens that you got on. I'm just saying you need some lenses that are, that, that are corrective in the way they work. And, and I see, just understand the Holy Spirit works with conviction. I, I, I can tell you on, on my journey uh, of trying to have physical health, there's times when I sit down at a table and there's food on there that I'd like to have, but I know it's not right for me. I've, it's happened as real as this. I put my hand because you put bread on the table in front of me, especially if it's hot, and then there's butter on the table too. It's like, you know, Lord help me, I'm falling. <laughs> I, I, I'm just telling you, so this is my experience. There's times when I've reached for that, and I felt the convicting power of the Lord and pulled my hand back because he said no. Doesn't mean he says no every time. And that wouldn't have been healthy for me. And I'm just saying this, sometimes, sometimes we got, well, I'm going to do this diet, I'm going to go work out, I'm going to do this, and it's all just a, a decision for my physical life over here. I'm just telling you this, that the Lord will, will work through the, the spiritual in your life to bring health and healing to the, to the physical. And sometimes we miss that. He'll do that with your finances when, you know, you're, you're just spending like randomly and doing this and, and all just, you know, not being a good steward and a good manager. Sometimes he will bring conviction not to throw you into condemnation, but to catch you before you make that step. If you're, if you're leaning in and listening, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Bible says it like this, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is speaking, right? You, you, can, you can be in tune so that you're, you're mental, right? The enemy's fighting with you and you have all these thoughts that are, that are ugly and not healthy and that just depress you and discourage you. And I'm just telling you this, the Holy Spirit in you will work through your spiritual life to, to encourage you and to give you hope if you allow him to do it. And I just want to say this and get an encouragement so you don't get stuck when I talk about self-examination, that you have the power to change through Jesus. I said you have the power to change through Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes in life we're forced to make a self-examination, a self-evaluation because something's happened, crisis, some tragedy, and all of a sudden we're face-to-face. we got to change that and, and thank God that making a change, but I don't want to have to have the crisis or the tragedy to do the self-evaluation because you don't have to wait for that to happen. Anybody, anybody with me? Sometimes you just got to get to the place where you're sick of being stuck. That's a question. Write that down. Am I sick of being stuck? Some of you started 2024 with something you wanted to change, something you wanted to see different, some kind of development that you wanted to happen in your life. And just ask you that. Not, I don't want you to answer out loud, but how's that going for you? Inc. Magazine had an article they did a study of 45 million people. It's a massive study. And what they found out was the vast majority of us, people in America, vast majority of people, quit their resolutions by the second Friday of January. That's over two weeks ago. Over two weeks ago. Now, again, not trying to be condemning about this. If you did, you did. But I'll just let you know this. You didn't have to sign up to celebrate Quitter's Day, National Quitter's Day. I love what Maxwell says. Losers never quit. Winners never lose. Right? Right? And, and it's the idea that 
that I've got to have this attitude that, well, you know what? I blew it. I messed up on that thing I was trying to do, and i got to get back up. I love that old song that says, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. Anybody heard that song? You have to go Google it sometime after service. We fall down, we get up. I think it's Donnie McClurkin. You may not know who that guy is. He sings it way better than I'm doing right now. I'm just saying this, right? The falling isn't the part that you want to become stuck in. Because when we fall, sometimes we just hang out there in misery. We, we make excuses for why this has happened. We continue to hang in the fallen state of whatever that is, Right? That, that unforgiveness we have towards somebody, we, just, we justify every ounce of it, every bit of it. we got a reason for it. And maybe we're even right in what we're saying, but that's not healthy, and that's not where God wants us to stay stuck. He wants you to get up with forgiveness in your heart. You may not be able to physically forgive them at the time. Maybe they're, maybe they're not receptive to that, but that you in your heart, you forgive them and you move on. It, it may be that thing where, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, you know, moving in, in, in 2024. I'm going to be doing some exercise. I'm going to be doing some stuff. And, and, and then you fall off the wagon. You, like, did it for two days in a row. and You're, like, all excited. And then you just hit something and hit the wall, and now you're not doing it. And you just figure, well, what's the use? Well, it was important enough for you to start it. Let me just let me rock your world for a minute. If it was a, important enough that you made a decision to start it, it's important enough to stay with it. Get back up, right? Don't stay in that fallen state. And you know, and, and we when we start the we start maybe 2024, you start with great intentions, but what's the end of this year going to look like? Are you going to still weigh more than you like to weigh? Are you still going to be spending more money than you make? Are you, are you still going to be in a place where you want to read the Bible daily, but you don't? And I'm talking to those of us in this room this morning that you want change. You've hoped for change. You've tried to change, but you're not sure if change is ever possible. And I'm telling you, yes, you can change through Jesus. Right? If you, if you feel frustrated and aggravated and exhausted and embarrassed and ashamed, just know this. You don't have to live that way. You can get up. Nobody's condemning you. Nobody's putting guilt on you. Nobody in here uh, wants you to feel shame. We're encouraging one another. Anybody with me? You tell somebody in this house, hey, I, was try I, I started out with this goal in mind this year and I've already blown it. Well, hey, let's pray about that because we believe you can get back up. Right? This church is a get-back-up church. And we just know this, you're not alone. You're not by yourself because everybody's been there. Even the apostle Paul has been there. He said this in Romans 7, verse 15 in the New Living Translation. He said, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And verse 24, he sums it up and says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You see, you need to understand this. Real change isn't behavior modification. Real change is not behavior modification. Real change is spiritual transformation. The thing that's going to help you get these areas of your life right is when you allow God to bring transformation into your life spiritually, and it will impact every area of your life. You'll see success in ways you didn't know you could ever attain. 
Right? He, he goes on to say, he, right, he said, who will free me from this, this uh, life that's dominated by sin and death? And in verse uh, 25 of that chapter, he says, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because the real way to change is not God, then me. Sometimes we think, God, you're going to do something, then I'll change, and we wait for a lifetime. I'm just waiting for you, God, to do this thing, right? And it's not God, not me. Sometimes we think God's going to do it all, and I don't have to do anything. It's God through me, right? It's, 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 uh, this, and what I'm ta- describing today, this idea, uh, I want you to get it as we do self-evaluation, is, is a sanctifying process that happens, I have to engage in that process. I have to participate with him. That's why he says this in, in Corinthians, let us cleanse ourselves. Who? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged with God in the process of development, of growth, right? I'm not, I don't need to expect that he's going to do it, and then one day I'll do it, or that he's going to do it, and I don't have to do it. It's God working through me. Uh, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, for I am, I'm the least of the apostles. He said, in fact, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What's Paul doing? He's, he's, he's connected way back here to his past, right? You can get lost in that. Some I mean, you get lost in that. You say, well, I don't even know if I can grow or develop. I don't, know. I don't need to examine myself. I know I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm, right? he, said, he says this in verse 10, though, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am not what I was. By the grace of God, I am not what I used to be. By the grace of God, I am who he's developing me to be and not stuck in the place that I always was. And he goes on to say, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, right? The grace that saves you is the same grace that will change you. We put grace at the moment of salvation, and then many times the modern church just makes it a cover-up for sin. And we say silly things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I get, I get that, except I also get it. I'm just a sinner. I'm just continuing to sin. I say it by grace. I'm like, get a hold of yourself. That's not what God's word said. What kind of foreign theology have you developed that you can continue? Paul says it like this. Should I continue in sin? God forbid. Most emphatic negative that you can say, he puts with that. With that. Should I continue in sin? God forbid. You, you, let me help you for a moment. I know we all struggle with things, and sometimes I say we fall. But I, I know this, that you can live, you can live a whole day and not sin. That's news to somebody. Right? You got the power to change. You, you, you say, well, I don't know. I'm, you know. I'm just telling you, you can get in a place in God where you can start walk, walking. I know this is foreign. This isn't a gospel that people preach nowadays. Because they, pre- they preach grace as a license to sin instead of grace as an empowerment not to sin. I'm just trying to help you this morning. I really am. I don't, I, again, it's not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's conviction. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, the, the charis, the gift of God, will convict you to get you to a new place, not to leave you there. 
right? And, and, and it's the idea that your spiritual why is God's purpose for you. Your spiritual how is God's power through you, right? He's got a purpose for you, but you don't just leave that purpose, right? He's going to give you power to do it. That's why Zechariah 4, 6 said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, right? And so I'm disciplined in that Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires to me. That can be your experience, right? If you change your behavior, but you don't change your heart, that behavior will come back, right? It's spiritual transformation. You can do a lot of good things, like, okay, get, you know, I, I know how humans are. We'd love just to have the list. We, we, I preach against this and say, you know what, a church, we're not a church with rules and regulations, but I know human nature is. Like, give me the things that I should do or things I, I need to do and not do. We just want that. Just make it simple. And then grace says, listen, I'm going to help you in that life. And there's some stuff you're struggling with. I want to help you out of it. But, but it's not so much here's the list, right? Because th- what you do is if you get the list, you try to correct all those things on your own, right? And then you have a bunch of change. And what happens is because there's not been a heart change, not been spiritual transformation, you fall back into that same stuff. I've been doing this for a while. I've watched it over and over time and time again. That's a real heart, heart change. It's allowing God to do the work inside. We sing an old song said, uh, he's working, um, working on the inside. Yeah, something on the inside, working on the outside has brought about a change in my life. That's a good one right there. We have to sing that with the youth. You're trying to meet a need or relieve a hurt with something besides God's grace. And I'm just saying this, you need his grace. And so I'm talking about examining and assessment. It's all about he's going to convict you, but there's grace, Right. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace, right? The Lord said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weaknesses. So Paul said, so, so how, now I am glad to boast about my weakness. I'm not ashamed of them. I'm glad to talk about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So you can change. Change is possible. Say change is possible. You can improve. Somebody say improvement is, is possible. You can develop. Somebody develop. Somebody say development is possible. So let's, let's get into this for a few moments. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. It's, it's Paul rendering and giving to us uh, what Jesus did at the Last Supper. And he says this, but let a man examine himself. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, just, uh, just a little past, or uh, in the second letter to Corinthians uh, 13, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not know, do you not know that yourselves, that, Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified. So, so first in eleven twenty eight, he uses a Greek word there for examine, or it's, it comes to us. Paul was using a different word that, that comes to us as examine, but it's doke uh, madzo. It's the idea that, that uh, there's actions in our life. It's the best way I'll, I'll give it to you. There's actions in our life that we need to look at, right? And then, and then in, the, in the second passage that I read to examine yourselves, Right, the word there is is uh, perazzo, and perazzo is not as much consumed with the uh, as the actions. In fact, that word, first word is test the actions. Right, perazzo is more about the idea of the intent, the motivation behind the actions. And so, what Paul's saying to us is, we need to do both. We 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 need to in our evaluation, we need to look at the actions. How many actions say a lot? If you're just in a natural point of discernment, you've been dealing maybe in business with someone, and you continue to see certain kinds of actions, 
Right? It's not necessarily a judgment. It's the idea that you've discerned, you've, you've, you're able to understand by their actions what's going on, who they are. Here's what, in the corporate world, here's what, here's what they tell you is that, that values in your life are what you do and not what you say. If it's really a value, you'll do it and just not say it. And, and, and so the, the assessment of both are needed. What am I doing, right? And what's the motivation? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I'll give you some practical real quick. And they may post this on social media later because I, I won't dig into these very deeply. But, just, but, you know, you need to make an assessment, an examination of your life. Am I in the Word? Am I spending ta- daily time in, in the Scriptures? I talked about everyday prayer, right? Evaluate your prayer life. A- a- am, I, am I moving into His presence? Am I making that an everyday focus in my life, my thought life. Do, do I have any impure thoughts that don't glorify God? My money, my finances, assess that, right? Have I not been completely above reproach in, in my financial dealings? My relationships, right? Am I spending quality time with my spouse, with, with my children, with the people in my life that, that God's called me to and that I feel like are, are friends or are, um, um, people that I'm mentoring or discipling. My performance, right? We're not performance-based, but yet we also know that all of us, right, you, you're, you got a business, you got a job, you got a home, you got a school, you got something. Am I giving 100%? Am I, am I being a Joseph in those areas where every time I, I attempt to do something, it's just, it's just done with excellence and it's rising to the, to, the, to the top? In fact, when they looked at Jesus, they, they were marveled at him and were amazed at him because they said this, he's done everything well. Is, is that the testimony that, and my integrity, Right? Have I, have I spoken half-truths or, or outright lies uh, trying to uh, put myself in a better light in front of people? Have I, have I my, right, my, uh, my, my faith walk and share my faith? Have I shared the gospel with someone this week? I love D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, you know, he had this commitment, like every day he's going to share the gospel. And one night, I don't know what he had on, but he's in bed, PJs or nightshirt or whatever they wore back in the 1800s. Probably not something we wear today, you know. I kind of picture him with those kind of hats that kind of come off the side. You know that, that Christmas poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and you see the little illustration of the guy, and he comes running out in the street, realizing he hadn't shared the gospel. And I, think, I believe it was a police officer, and he goes up to him and says, Sir, begins to lay out the gospel plan. And the guy accepted Christ that night on the sidewalk, and he went back to bed. I'm just saying, what, what an evaluation and examination before he laid his head down to sleep to think about, did I share Jesus today? Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living because it robs you of the opportunity to understand the true purpose of your life. So true. If I'm not making a self-assessment, God has a purpose, and I'm going to be robbed of that. Three non-negotiables for self-evaluation is what I'm going to talk about real quickly. First one is I will not lie to myself, even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Won't lie to myself. That's a problem with many of us. We're just not honest with ourselves. And to make a proper assessment, well, you have to be honest with, with, with about the areas that you need improvement. Honest evaluation is essential to getting better, to improving, to growing. Christ followers have got to look at their life through the filter of reality. And to do this, you've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, why am I doing blank And then follow up the question with, why am I doing blank, really? Right? Don't just come up with some flippant answer. 
why am I, you know, and I, I, I don't think I've ever quoted Michael Jackson. I don't think he wrote this song even, but, but he got that song, Man in the Mirror, and it's so true. It's right, this idea of self-examination is looking in the mirror. He said, I'm, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Jesus said it like this. We get, we get consumed with the speck in somebody else's eye when we got a beam in our, in our own eye. I think he said that with a little humor, by the way, but it was true, right? I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change, right? No change comes if you don't evaluate and examine yourself. See, here's the thing. If you continue to put up with the same old stuff, you deserve what you tolerate. A whole lot of you are tolerating some stuff that you could get over and get better and get, get to a better place and to a stronger place in your spiritual walk and in many of those other areas I'm mentioning, but you just kind of tolerate what you got. And here's the thing. You can't fix what you're not willing to confront. And as I said, as I said, as I said this, you know, it's the idea, I'm not going to lie to myself, even when being brutally honest with myself makes me feel bad. I'm going to be honest with myself. Secondly, I will prioritize what I value the most over what I want now. It's a big one. Um, all of us are moving ourselves toward a goal. You, you may not know that. You may ignore that. You may never even contemplate the idea that you're moving toward a goal. And because you're moving toward a goal, there is an end game. You've got to be examining, assessing yourself, leading yourself toward an end goal of what you value. You may, and if you're taking notes, if you're not, you may write this down anyways. Put it in your phone, text it yourself, whatever you need to do. Values. If I ask you what are the values in your life, can you tell me? My marriage is a value in my life. Non-negotiable. Values are non-negotiables. Right? It's a value in my life. So, so because that's a value, then there's certain things I do in life to keep that important. And you've got to identify what you value most. Right? David, David steps out in uh, uh, 1 Samuel. He steps out. His dad sent him to take lunch to, the, to his brothers and to the people there. And he, he gets there, and he looks around. And there's this giant Philistine army, Philistinian, uh, Philistine army over there. And Goliath is making this charge every day, twice a day, walking out. You know, and, and, and the armies of Israel are cowering down in fear. It's just, it's just a horrible sight. And, 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 and David understands this. In fact, he'll, he'll, say, he'll say it like this, because he's been a shepherd boy. His experience has not been warfare and soldiers and armaments and weaponry like, like they know. In fact, when he's offered, when he's offered armor, it, it doesn't even fit him because he's, he's a young guy. He can't wear a man's armor. <clears throat> he's not tested it. It didn't, it's, not, it's not right for him. And, and, and David, he'll say this. He'll say, uh, God's delivered me from the paw of the lion, and God's delivered me from the paw of the bear, and God's able to deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Why did he say that? Because he's saying this, we're the people of the covenant. They are not under the covenant. And he looks at them and he says, is there not a cause? Don't we have a value on being God's people? And why are we over here, people of the covenant, worried about them when, when, when we have the power of God on our side? Right? David understood there's a value. There's a value that we should have. And David, he embraced that value so much that this guy that didn't know how to use armor, 
that didn't have the weaponry of the, of the soldiers goes out with his sling and five smooth stones to a giant who can take down anybody, and he's victorious. Why was he victorious? Well, you know, the Lord did it, Pastor. I get it. I get it. But I want to tell you this. It's because he had a value on the things that God valued. And you let God give you values, right, that calls you. And, and, and your why gets bigger and bigger. I remember when the doctor told me, you know, your high blood pressure, we're going to put you on some medication. I, doctor said, I don't want to, but we're going to have to if you don't change it really quickly. We've got to add this other drug to you for your, 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 uh, sugar, your blood sugar levels. Your A1C is too high. It's too high last time. So we got this one. And by the way, the side effects are you, you can't, you got, you got to watch because you won't be able to control your bladder. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I can't be up here doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like in my head, man, wheels are spinning like, you know, and it had some name. I couldn't even, I mean, I, I mean, it was like 26 letters or something. I don't know. I knew it wasn't like made by God. You know, I knew this was a man-made thing because God's, God's stuff, she got simple, like, you know, orange. It's pretty simple. And, and then they said, and he's listening. He stopped right here. He said, you hear that? I'm like, no, but you're really concerned to me, Doc. Because he stopped. He went someplace else. He came back to that. You hear that? I said, no. He said, he said, it sounds like when you kink a water hose and it goes, shh. I wish you would never even told me that. This evaluation is not fun. I'm hearing some stuff that somebody's being brutally honest with me. You ever had an ultrasound? No. He said, well, let's get you one. I don't want to get an ultrasound. They did the thing, come back. Yeah, you got some plaque build up there, and we need to get you on some cholesterol, lower and medication. We don't have to do anything surgically or whatever. But, and I'm like, oh, my. And then God led me to somebody, and they told me some things to do. And now I'm five years. No metformin, no blood pressure medicine. No cholesterol, low medicine. When I go, when I go, here's what the doctor told me. He said, you got the, you, your blood pressure is like a 20-year-old guy. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, like one, 110 over 70, like, you know, like we, we got guys that, I, I see guys that are so much younger than you that's not there. I'm just saying this, that, that I had to come to a place that I valued length of ministry, valued time with my spouse, valued wanting to see my grandchildren grow up, that I'd make some hard changes to understand what I value the most over what I value now. And some of you are struggling with, you know, I value right now that chocolate cake more than I value my long life. Hey, I love chocolate cake, but I can't eat chocolate cake every day. In fact, once you allow God to give you a value that's bigger than the chocolate cake, the chocolate cake doesn't even look as good as being able to grab your grandkids get on the floor and roll around and play. You know what I'm saying? Right? The, 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 the drug, the bottle, the porn, it doesn't, the value of that lessens when you understand there's so much of a greater value beyond this. When you understand I'm valuing family, I'm valuing my children. I know how many times over the years I've dealt with somebody and they're going to they're leave the church. They've been here for years. Their kids are growing up. I was saying earlier, like Amelia. Amelia's been here, like, what, 2007? That's okay. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've, I've had other people where they have family members and, and, and children, and, like, they get some discrepancy in something. You know, like I say something, and they're out the door, and they take all their kids and run on out. And I think, I don't think you value. It's my, it's my, I don't always say this. 
I've said it before. I don't think you value your children when you when you were you were you were running to and fro to all kinds of churches before you came here, and now you're out the door with some little discrepancy about something. And what your children are seeing is it's okay to run from church to church to church to church, and they'll have no consistency and faithfulness in their understanding. You know what I'm saying? And I get it. There's there's reasons why we go to a different place and reasons. I'm just saying when you when you uproot and do that, well, it just messes with them. And I, th- I think one of the exercises you could do this week, and I got to move, is, is this. Um, you can jot this down. This question: What would your friends? What would you like for them to say about you at your funeral? What would you like for your spouse to say about you if they got up and spoke at your funeral? If your children got up and eulogized you at your funeral, what do you want them to say? Some of you kids, what if your coach? Or your teacher? What if your boss came? Or a customer, a client that you do business with? What do you want them to say about you? Well, he was a rascal. He really knew how to eat. That's why we're standing here today. He ate himself into the casket. He liked TV. He didn't like to exercise and run. I don't like to run either. I'm just saying I'm just saying, what do you value the most? Three, I will not attempt to examine myself by myself. Because I want to tell you, you got to invite somebody else into the relationship. We need people in our lives with, with, with going the same direction, shared values, common values, who can point us in the direction that we want to go. Because I understand this relationships, I say this a lot, but it's so important you get it. Relationships are like elevators. Because you know how you get on an elevator. You, you, you step into the doors open, you step in there, you turn around, you're going to hit a button. You're not going to get in there, the doors close, and then the elevator's like, okay, I'm done with my elevator ride, and I just come back off on the same floor. I mean, you, you got something going on up here if that's, the way, if that's the way you approach elevators. Like, we don't walk in and walk back out on the same floor. Elevators are meant to take you up or to take you down. Are they going to take you to another level or are they going to drop you to another level? Relationships. Relationships will do the exact same thing. That's why it's important who you have in your circle, who's in your sphere of influence, who you're including. And by the way, you need to include somebody. And there's somebody that you need to, to have a relationship in which you can say, will you pray for me and, 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 and keep me in prayer? And, and, and this is what I'm thinking. And that's why I talk about groups and getting a group. Meet somebody in there that you can, you can entrust some things in your life with. Right? Men, it's going to be another man. Woman, it's going to be another woman. Women, it's going to be another woman. Um, but you get somebody in your life that you feel like you can. I remember one time I was downtown and I was on the elevator. I was on 21st floor and I got in the elevator and got to go down. And when I went down, down it started to move and then it stopped. And it's in between two floors. I found that out later. It was, it was stuck. I'm just standing there. And I'm just standing for a minute, for a second, whatever. I don't know how long time it was, but there was a time period where I'm like, I'm the only one on there. Like you wish somebody else was on it with you. At least, at least then you can say, and they say, oh, it's okay. And I'll be, oh, okay. <laughs> or they can say, oh, this is the end. <laughs> you can cry with them, you know. But, but I'm saying, I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what happened. And so then I hit the buttons and nothing's happening. And so, well, here's how I hit the buttons. This is what I did. This is what I did. I didn't move that, but I got to move that chair. So I'm in the corner of the elevator facing out the, the screen, you know, the panel. And so the, the phone thing is on the other side. And I wait there for, I don't know how long it was. And then I, d- I did this around the back wall of the thing. Seriously, this is what I look like. I don't have a camera in there. I might be on one of those video shows, you know. I'm just kind of doing this. Because I know I'm not to the bottom, 
I feel like I don't want to make a wrong move in the thing, but I know I need to get help. And so, so I'm just kind of tiptoeing, and I get over that box thing, and I open it, and I said, they said, how can I help you? I said, I'm on an elevator, and uh, it's not going anywhere, and I don't know what to do. I need help. And the guy said, okay, we'll be right with you. And he just got off the phone, I put it there, and then, and then I don't know why I did this, but I, I could have stood there, but I, I tiptoed <laughs> like this back to that back corner. And I'm standing there, and I'm just hoping, because I know how high I am. I know we didn't go that far, because it was just a jolt, and like, boom. I'm thinking, I'm hoping, you know, and I'm praying a little bit. I call for help on the thing, but I'm also calling for, for help. All of a sudden, it moved a little bit. By the way, that, that, you know, that's a heart attack moment right there when it did move, because nobody told me it was going to do. I thought the doors were going to open or something. They were going to pull me out somehow. It did that, and then, and then it, it moved. And it stopped, and the door's open, and I'm on the 20th floor. And I got out of the thing right now. And you know why? I didn't worry about tiptoeing that time. I just got out of there as fast as I could. And the stairs looked so nice on the way down. And I've been in that building since, and I've never got on that middle elevator that's in that building ever again. I'm like the cat that sat on the hot stove once. It's never going to sit on a hot stove again. But, but let, me, let, me, let me help you with this. There's some relationships that you're in. Because, again, they're like elevators that you feel like you're always tiptoeing around. Like if you move too much, something's going to break loose, and it's going to be just you know, chaotic and destructive, and it's dangerous. And, and, and I just want you to know that there is an open door that you can get out. And I'm saying if you're in a relationship that's taking you down, you need to exit quickly and get people that are surrounding you that's going to help take you to the new elevation that God has for you. You don't have to be stuck and people that'll speak into your life, everybody needs, everybody needs a Nathan, like David had, that'll look at him and say, thou art the man, right? You need somebody to say, thou art, some of you women need somebody to say, thou art the woman. Somebody that'll say that and then tell you a little story to help you get straight. You need that. I, th I think about, it. there's one group that we're doing, it's on Wednesdays. It's a c encouragement, accountability, and support. Great place to, to dive in, and, and allow God to help you with that in your life. John Calvin said this, I don't quote him very much, but Institutes of the Christian Religion said, true and sound wisdom begins with not only with the knowledge of God, but also ourselves. And so yes, I gotta have people, but I need to have that conversation, that dialogue with, with the one who knows me the most. You know in three ways, at least three ways. The way people know you, the way you know yourself, and the way God knows you. And by the way, you might fool people, but you can't fool him. You may fool yourself, but you can't fool him. Psalms 139, verse 1 said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. And he wraps it up. Here's, here's, here's his quest. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Right, it's coming clean. Examining myself. And allowing the Lord to speak to me about where I'm at. My dealings with people. With others. With him with my life, with my physical, my emotional, my mental, my financial, my relational life.
Thank you for listening to the Elevation Indie Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified as soon as the message becomes available each week. And hey, while you're here, go ahead and share this with somebody that needs to hear the message. Thanks, and see you next week.